Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, January 11th, 2015. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, January 9th, is 7175. 7175. This morning, A Vision for You presents, whether you believe or don't believe in God, the 12 steps will help you find what you're missing, because obviously you're missing something if you can't stop compulsively overeating. In step one, we found complete despair, powerlessness. We cannot solve the problem of our compulsive overeating by ourselves. In step two, we will find hope, power, a power greater than ourselves will restore us to sanity. Our concepts of a higher power and God as we understand him afford everyone a nearly unlimited choice of spiritual belief and action. The program is designed for the rich diversity of convictions within our fellowship. The big book promises that working the 12 steps will remove the barriers which keep us from our higher power, however, however we have conceived it, and that higher power will restore us to sanity. Here to speak this morning is Lori, a, Lori C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Winnipeg, Canada. Lori is an active messenger in Overeaters Anonymous, and we're grateful to have his service on the line this morning. Good morning, Lori, and welcome. Good morning, Leah. Shall I just begin? Please. Okay. Well, thank you for the opportunity of, of speaking. Uh, my name is Laurie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I, I, the topic uh, we debated, uh, Leah and I, over email, over what the topic should be, and uh, I gave her a short version and a long version. She chose the long version, which I'm happy about, because I, I think it, it encapsulates um, sort of the, the tough message of, of the big book. Uh, whether you believe in God or not, it doesn't really matter what matters is that if you're compulsively overeating, you're missing something in your life. And um, the big book provides a bunch of answers, and I wanted to go through them today and, and talk about them. Uh, I'll just start off by saying that I, I, have, I grew up and continue to be as skeptical and agnostic as one can be uh, who has no certainty in his life. That is, I, 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 I don't think I can know whether there's a God or not, uh, but I strongly, 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 strongly suspect there is not. Uh, I've been like that for all my life. I grew up in a uh, family. My grandparents and my parents uh, were uh, also uh, completely non-religious and agnostic, and I grew up with that. Uh, never had a problem with, uh, with that. Never felt the need for uh, any higher power. Um, when I joined uh, OA... Uh, I was at the, uh, and that was about, oh, February 11th, 1986, so that's what, 29 years ago, almost 29 years ago. Um, I was encouraged to join by a uh, member of Alcoholics Anonymous, been a member for many, many years, and had been uh, uh, really uh, in, in the gutter, uh, who persuaded me, or didn't have to persuade me very much, uh, he told me that I should take my food as seriously as uh, he took his alcohol, 
and that gave me the incentive and the sense of significance of my problem um, that I needed to embrace this program. Now, it took me six or seven years in this program before I finally found a way to work the steps that worked for me, and that is the, the, the directions as found in the big book. Um, and I'm not going to tell much of my story in that respect. Um, what I want to say, though, is that when I first started OA, I, I, I was there with an absolute sense that I was powerless. I didn't know what I was powerless over, but I knew that food was a was beyond my control, and I had proved that to uh, to my satisfaction by all the things I had done to deal with my weight, to deal with my eating, uh, by my knowledge of my secret eating and and uh, and uh, my my complete inability to stop once I had started. But it took me six or seven years before I finally accepted the picture in the big book. Um, of the person who has both a bodily and a, a body and a mental problem, and the body problem, as I'm, I'm sure that most of the listeners to this uh, uh, podcast, uh, uh, whatever it's called, it's a telephone conversation, uh, know the body problem is that we develop uncontrollable cravings when we indulge in uh, certain foods, food ingredients, and/or eating behaviors. And it's our responsibility in a way, unlike the alcoholic who knows it's alcohol, it's the responsibility in a way for each one of us to figure out what causes individually, what causes our specific cravings or what specific foods, food ingredients, and or eating behaviors uh, cause that, uh, that those uncontrollable cravings. Um, that's the body problem. Uh, any intelligent and sane person would know that the answer to any body problem that causes uncontrollable cravings is simply to stay away from those things that cause those uncontrollable cravings. The real problem, as the big book points out, is that we have a mind that continues to give us permission to go back to those uh, foods, food ingredients, and or eating behaviors. It gives us permission in all kinds of different ways. Often it's quite emotional ways, uh, trigger, triggering emotions, and sometimes it's just plain stupidity. Uh, or insanity, which persuades us that this time it will be different, or this time it's okay, or just a little bit um, will will uh, will not hurt. We're aided and embedded in that by most well every diet I've ever seen, um, and uh, every weight loss program that I'm aware of. Um, maybe there are some that I'm not, um, and by apparently every diet that you find in magazines, we're persuaded by all those things that tell us that once we lose our weight, we can eat anything in moderation, which is true for a whole bunch of people in this world, but not true for people who get uncontrollable cravings when they indulge in certain foods, food ingredients, and or eating behaviors. Obviously, they have to refrain from indulging in those specific things that give them uh, cravings. And the, it is not true to say for, for us, for people like me, that we can have everything in moderation. We can't. Um, just as the alcoholic can't have any alcohol in his or her body, uh, we can't have these foods, these specific foods or food ingredients and our eating behaviors. Well, it took me six or seven years to accept that in, in a way, and that was the main problem that I continued to recover and relapse, recover and relapse. Um, once I accepted that, and that is found in the doctor's opinion in the big book, uh, where they say... Uh, um, in this statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe 
that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as, and is, as his mind. In our belief, uh, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. Well, that's what all the diets were telling me. That's what I believed. All my weight loss programs, uh, the weight loss program I had been a member of four to three times over, um, and had always lost weight and then gained weight again once they gave me back all the foods that I had given up during the diet that they had. Um, that's what uh, they all told me, that I didn't have a body problem. So the the notion that I had this body problem took a long time to to um, sit within me. And once I accepted that, and once I began to realize that the big book was more than just a, a set of really quite often inspiring uh, phrases and uh, sort of a, the grandfather, grandmother of, the, of, of them all and, and, and quaint and interesting and at times maddening because of its very uh, male-oriented approach uh, to things and, and, uh, and its, uh, its emphasis on a God that is really, when, when they do their best to, to, um, to uh, make it as universal as they can, but ultimately it was written by uh, uh, Christian men. You know, that's what this book was ultimately written by, with a few nods to, to, uh, to agnostics, atheists, and Jews. Uh, but not a lot, uh, mostly uh, uh, religious people uh, who who uh, who tried their best to open the book up. But it, it, it's a difficult book to read for many people. And um, once I began to realize that this book is more than simply this sort of combination of wonderful phrases and sort of a general sense of, uh, well, this is where the steps come from uh, and the maddening stuff that, and the archaic language, but it actually was written as a set of directions for people who did not have um, anyone from AA around uh, who could read it and follow those directions and recover. Once I realized that, and I began to study it and, and, uh, as, as a book of directions. And the first thing I had to do was accept the notion that uh, my powerlessness came from the very simple concept that my body developed uncontrollable allergies, uncontrollable cravings uh, once I started, so that once I started, I could not stop. This wasn't true every day of my life. It was true for the most part, or it was true for certain foods. It was true for certain foods at certain times. Uh, I never got up to 500 pounds, where, where people I know who have been at 500 pounds talk about it happening all the time. Well, it didn't happen every single moment with me, but it sure happened enough to make me know that there were times when once I started, I couldn't stop. That would not be my, uh, a tremendous problem if I also didn't have the mental problem, which was that I couldn't stop from starting. I couldn't stop my mind from giving me permission with a little click. Uh, you, you can have this. You deserve it. You're too happy. You're too sad. You're too lonely. Too many people love you. Uh, it's, it's fresh food. They made it especially for you. It's organic. And not, what can be wrong with organic? Um, you know, uh, you didn't eat the, 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 the cake at supper time, so you can have the, this at, at, uh, at snack time. Um, whatever the reason, I can't stop from starting. Well, that's a vicious circle. Once I start, I can't stop. I can't stop from starting. Complete vicious circle, which explained all the yo-yo dieting I had ever done and explained why every single diet I'd ever been on never worked because they kept giving me back the foods that caused these uncontrollable cravings. Well, Given that, and, given, and, and that's found in the doctor's opinion, it's found in Bill's story, it's found in There is a Solution, Chapter 2, and it's found in More About Alcoholism, Chapter 3. I also had to accept the notion that 
I needed a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. Sanity is simply, and that's what recovery is, it's the state of knowing all the time on a day-to-day basis, I can't eat this stuff. Why would I eat something that that can kill me, that once I start, I can't stop? And and I've had that now for over 21 years. Uh, And it's a miracle to me. It's something I didn't do. It's something that has occurred to me as a result of following the directions uh, of the 12 steps, doing the 12 steps. I choose to do them the, the big book way. There are many different ways of doing them, and uh, I like the big book way. Um, but however, however it's done, and I have friends who don't do it the big book way. They, they do it in other ways. But what we have in common is our sense of the absolute hopelessness of our situation on our own and the absolute hope we get when we see other people recover and have this sense of grace, this sense of not being able, uh, of being able just to say, why would I eat this stuff? This is terrible for me. Other people can eat it, but I can't. The, the same sanity that anyone who gets anaphylactic shock uh, from peanuts or, or shrimp would have when offered a shrimp or offered a peanut. No, why would I have it? It's poison. Other people can eat it. I can't. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just pure sanity that would lead you to reject uh, stuff that you can't ingest. Um, so that, that's a despair. Then there's the hope. As I began to study the big book, uh, uh, well, I had read it for years before I really began to study it in a set of directions. And I should say that I studied a great deal of philosophy, a great deal of theology as well, uh, even though I'm, I'm, uh, I've been agnostic all my life, um, and I, I really I don't believe in a God, um, in any kind of God that, that would be spoken of by people on the streets uh, away from a, a 12-step program. Um, I take a great interest in philosophy. I take a great interest in in, uh, in uh, theology, and I, I've studied a lot of it. And I used to read the chapter We Agnostics, uh, which is the chapter that uh, the big book sort of reserves for dealing with people who don't who have a problem with the God thing. And I used to read it and say, this is this is third-rate philosophy. It's lousy stuff uh, compared to the rest of the book. Um, when I began to accept that the rest of the book was pretty great, uh, I thought I would reread the chapter We Agnostics and see if I could find out whether it is as great as the rest of the book. I discovered that it was. I discovered that if you study it and if you really look at the arguments contained in it, um, boil them down to their essentials and, and don't become overwhelmed by the, by the words that are used, you will find excellent um, arguments addressed to both to those who do believe and those who don't. Um, there is a reason um, for this chapter that, that uh, there's a reason that people who deeply believe in God should read this chapter. Um, because the, the book points out, and the book is, 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 is a tough book, when it, when, when it comes to uh, people who are deeply religious uh, and, and they talk about sponsoring people, about carrying the message to other people. They talk specifically about how you deal with the God thing. Now, that's found on, on uh, page, um, well, it's found uh, pages 92 to uh, 94. But in particular, they deal with religious people uh, on page 93. And it says, um, you know, your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours, yours. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he'll be curious to learn 
why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. Then they say this, he may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Faith must be accompanied by action. Let him see that you're not there to instruct him in religion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do. But call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. So that the most religious person, the person who believes deeply in a God, the person who goes to church or synagogue or, or mosque yeah, every day and prays and and, and and deeply believes that God is, is out there making a difference in people's lives and making a difference in his or her life, that person still needs to accept the concept that faith alone does not work when you have an addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or food. Um, it, it doesn't work. Uh, and, and therefore, the 12 steps, which call not just for faith, but for action, are the path to rediscovering your faith. Uh, there are other hints of, of the need for a spiritual solution before we reach uh, we agnostics. Uh, Bill's story is all, is, is all about, uh, uh, starting on page one, is all about his, uh, his descent into, into, into the hell of, of drinking. And then his finding, his friend Ebby, is, uh, who found him and talked about the need for finding God through the 12 steps. Um, and and he, he couldn't accept that. He was a non-religious, anti-religious person. He grew up with a grandfather who was quite anti-religious. Um, and and he, he talks in pages uh, uh, 9, 10, 11, and uh, 12, and uh, 13 of the book about his problems with this God thing. Um, and, and he says on page 11, that to Christ I can see that the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claimed him, his moral teachings most excellent. For myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. And he talked about how uh, people who who seem to believe in God get all kinds of get into all kinds of wars uh, with each other. And uh, have the religions of mankind done any good? Uh, he doubted that. And then he said, uh, he says, if there was a devil, he seemed the boss universally. Certainly had me. So he he can believe in a devil much more easily than he can believe in a god. And then it, right in the middle of page 11, he says, but my friend sat before me, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced it incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. This is a person whom Bill had known, Ebby Thatcher, who, who was a drunk that... Bill said, if I ever get as bad as Ebby, I've got to stop drinking. And here, Ebby did not want to drink. He, he just was immune to the drink that Bill had offered him. And Bill goes on, on page 11, he says, Had this power originated in him? Obviously it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute, and this was none at all. That floored me. It began to look as though religious people were right after all. Here was something, this is a great sentence, you know, it's beautiful writing. There was something at work in a human heart which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. He shouted great tidings. 
And this whole concept that each one of us who recovers can be the miracle for someone else who has not recovered, who is in despair, that's one of the great miracles of this program, one of the great gifts of this program, is that I can sit here. I mean, what amazes me is I can sit here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where it's minus, uh, I don't know, about in Fahrenheit, I don't know what it is, minus 23 Celsius. Um, and, I, and I can speak to people from all over the United States and probably in parts of, uh, of the world and, and carry the message of recovery <coughs> Excuse me, and, and, and be a miracle. And, it, it, and I take no credit for that. It's, it's a miracle that has happened to me. And, and Bill goes on, and, and, and he talks about, well, but I can't believe in God. This God thing is just not for me. I didn't like the idea. And then Ebby suggests what then seemed a novel idea. He says on page 12, why don't you choose your own conception of God? And at that moment, as, as Joe and Charlie, the great um, AA uh, big book interpreters, uh, uh, say, in that moment, religion became spirituality. Uh, for millions of people around the world. Uh, people who could not accept religion could accept the concept of spirituality, their own conception of God. And Bill goes on, it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point upon a foundation of complete willingness. I might build what I saw in my friend. And then we go on in the book, and in the chapter there is a solution, um, where on uh, page uh, 25, there is a solution. Uh, almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings. These are the steps, of course, which the process, uh, process I should speak American, I guess, for the majority of people, Canadians say process, uh, the, uh, which the process, process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we'd come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved. I mean, that's pretty certain stuff. And I tell you, in me, the problem has been solved, and it has been solved for over 21 years on a day-to-day -day basis. Nothing to do with me, everything to do with the steps. Uh, when, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. And it, I heard a speaker once say that when, some, when you pick up something that's laid at your feet, you really have to kneel down to get it. And, and in a sense, I'm on my knees. You know, when I joined this program, I was on my knees. And, and after six or seven years of relapse in this program, I was really on my knees. I couldn't get out of this cycle of losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight until I, I got, in a sense, got on my knees. We have found much of heaven. We've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we have not even dreamed. I'm not going to talk about this fourth dimension other than to point out that I think it's what is promised in step 11, in, in the discussion of step 11 in the big book. It is this intuitive sense of knowing what to do, this sense of connection with our higher power that allows us to act without thinking and and have and rely that our actions will be for the best um I'll, I'll, i won't deal with that too much then they go on the great fact is just this and nothing less that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life toward our fellows and toward god's universe the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts 
and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. Now, those words have been fighting words for me. I don't accept those words as they're written. Our creator, I don't believe anything created me. Uh, I don't believe that anything, any living thing has accomplished things for me which I could never do by ourselves. But that doesn't stop me from accepting the, the idea that it's my own conception of God. And I'll talk about that as we go on. Um, in that same chapter, there's a lengthy discussion uh, about a certain American businessman, this man named Roland Hazard, who went to see the great psychoanalyst psych- uh, Carl Jung, who could not help him. And Carl Jung said, the only solution that, that I know will work is a religious or a spiritual conversion. And I can't do that. I, I, I don't know how you can possibly get one. And Roland Hazard found the Oxford groups, which had, a ver- which had this a whole idea, which is embodied in the 12 steps of um, moral inventory, confession to another human uh, person, another human being, um, restitution, which are steps 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, restitution of those we had wronged, uh, and then continued work uh, helping other people without hope of reward, property, or prestige, step 12, and praying and meditating for guidance, step 11. These are the essence of the, of the 12 steps. Um, and then in the chapter more about alcoholism, uh, there's more of a discussion of, uh, of how, of the mental state that keeps uh, pushing us into, um, uh, into going back to the things that cause us these uncontrollable cravings. And, and in that chapter, you can see uh, examples of people who just never pursued the spiritual path. And the big book points out, if you don't pursue the spiritual path, you can never recover if you have the problem that we have. And then we get to the chapter, uh, We Agnostics. And that's found, that begins on page uh, 44. <coughs> Excuse me. In the preceding chapters, you've learned something of alcoholism. We have hoped we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, that's the mental problem. You honestly want to, I won't have this, I won't have this, I won't have this. Why don't you have some? Oh, no. Why don't you have some? Oh, no. Why don't you have some? Okay. Which is, you know, the third time somehow always does it. Um, that's the mental problem. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. That's the physical thing. You get these uncontrollable cravings and you can't stop. Uh, your, your hand keeps bringing the food to the mouth. And you just and you keep saying, I must stop, I must stop, and you can't stop. If you have either the mental problem or the body problem, you are probably alcoholic. And then they go on and say, if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And then they talk to the atheist or agnostic. They says to the one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic, and let me be clear, by the way, an atheist is a person who knows there is no God, an agnostic is a person who doesn't believe that there's a God, but isn't willing to speak with as much certainty as the atheist. That's how I use those words at any rate. To one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. But to continue as he is means disaster, especially if if he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. But it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life 
or else. Perhaps it's going to be that way with you. But cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that you not be, not be disconcerted. And for the next few pages, uh, they, they, they point out that if a mere code of morals or better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. And I, I must say that fits me. I mean, I, I, as I say, I grew up a, a, an extremely skeptical agnostic, I, I, uh, and yet my sense of morality is very high. I, I was brought up in a home that, that uh, I won't say preached, that was simply a moral home. It had senses of right and wrong. Uh, they were no different, I would say, from the teachings of the, from the, teachings of the great religions, um, not necessarily the things that, those people, that the people who follow those religions have said, but the, the teachings of the great religions. Um, but they, they weren't founded on, on belief in a God uh, or that God had commanded these things. They were just founded on a sense of what makes us the best humans we can be. But we found, the big book points out on page 45, that such codes and philosophies did not save us, no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, as moved around by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to, uh, and that's our problem. We're powerless. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? That's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to, is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Not that it will help you solve your problem. It will solve your problem. And what we find out as we read through this book and as we work the steps is that the steps give us a spiritual awakening that relieves us of our insanity and, and gives us a sense of where we are in this world. That's true for both the deeply religious person and for the person who has no religion and no beliefs whatsoever. It gives us a sense of wholeness, a sense of harmony, a sense of acceptance, a spiritual awakening. Uh, and what we find in the chapter we agnostics makes it very clear that we do not have to believe in anything when we start this program. That the belief uh, comes later on. It comes at step nine. The promises of steps eight and nine, as found in the big book, are the promises of a spiritual awakening. Uh, the promises of recovery from the food problem, the sanity that returns, and the promises of a spiritual awakening. And so for anyone who doesn't believe in a God and, and who, who feels despair, uh, you know, I can't take this God stuff. You don't have to worry. As Bill found out right at the beginning, willingness is all that's required. All you have to do is to be willing to do what's required by the steps, and you will recover. You will find the spiritual awakening. Now, the religious person might say, but I do believe in God. Why should I read this chapter? It's addressed to agnostics. It's addressed to atheists. I'm not an atheist. I'm not an agnostic. There are two reasons why you, as a religious person, ought to read this chapter or study what it says. The first is that you will meet people like me in this program. As you recover, you will meet people like me who don't believe in God. And you must, as part of your step 12, carry the message to me as well as you carry the message, and people like me, as well as you carry the message 
to the person who believes exactly what you believe. You must also carry the message to people who believe in a God that's different from yours um, or that, that has a different kind of religion or who has a different kind of religion, who has a different sense of it. And this chapter tells you all you need to know about how to carry the message to people who believe in God's different from you, who believe in God's the same as you, and who don't believe in God at all. Uh, so that's the first really good reason. You ought to read this. It contains the arguments. It contains the concepts by which you might be able to help the person who still suffers. And you ought, you, you ought not to shy away from that. You ought to, to learn these, these arguments in order to carry the message better. But the second reason is that later on in this chapter, it explains perfectly why, if you believe in God, and you have not been able to refrain from compulsive eating, why your God has not, at least in your own mind, helped you. Why your religion or why your belief in God has not helped you. It explains exactly why, and explains exactly what the steps do that enables you to have your God restore you to sanity. And so I'll leave that in suspense until we get to those pages. Um, right now I'll deal with the issue of uh, why should we f try to find a power greater than ourselves? And uh, the big book uh, on pages 45 to um, 48 uh, discusses why it's important for us to do that and how little we have to do before we are ready to go on to step three and four and five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Um, they talk about the prejudice we may have uh, against religion, and, and this repeats some of what Bill said uh, to Ebby uh, in the conversation in Bill's story. Um, they, they talk about how, how, how if religion has caused so many problems in this world and uh, people are weak uh, for believing in things. Um, how, how could a supreme being have anything to do with it all, with all the wars and the calamities? And, all, you know, and that's on page 46. And it, it says, yes, we of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences, let us make haste to reassure you. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. Much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of, our, of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with him. And I must, I must say that this should be of assistance not only to non-religious or agnostics or atheist, uh, uh, non-religious people or agnostics or atheists, it should also be of assistance to people who have grown up with a God that, that scares them, a God that, um, uh, of a, uh, that, that makes them afraid and that is a God of wrath and, and, and destruction um, or vengeance. Uh, they can look at their own conception of the kind of God they want to have enter into their lives. Uh, it's not blasphemous to talk about that. It's, it's, it's very healthy to talk about what kind of a God would you want if you had a God. Um, and and uh, I've, I've met a number of deeply religious people who have said, well, I find it very difficult to uh, understand how the God I believe in could help me and could restore me to sanity, but I, I, I will try to define the kind of a God the power that I'm looking for, and I'm willing to believe that I can find that kind of power and 
let it go at that, and then they work the steps, and they find that kind of power. On page 47, addressed specifically to the atheists or agnostics, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. This applies to, to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you, stop you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth, to effect, to create our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. Afterward, if we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach, that was growth. But if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere, so we used our own conception, however limited it was. This, is, this paragraph is the major concession the big book makes. Uh, the, rest of the, the rest of the language it uses uh, for God is much more religious. Um, but in this, ch- in this particular paragraph, they're doing their best to open it up to, to everyone. And I accept they did their best. And I, I'm not mad at them for using words that I don't like. Uh, I accept that they tried their best. Um, I, I should point out that, that these things that I've, I've all read make it very clear that step two does not require us, from the big book perspective at any rate, does not require us to believe in anything when we start the steps, when we start working steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. We don't, it, it says came to believe that a power greater than ourselves. It's not did believe or immediately began a belief. If that were required, I would never have worked, been able to work this program. I accepted that step two was, the, was, was a description of the solution, not a step that I took before I went on to three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Step one is a description of the problem, powerlessness, despair, hopelessness. And step two is the description of the solution, hope, uh, a power, solution. And uh, all I had to do was to be willing at step two, just to be willing to try the steps. And, and you know, it's, it's that old, it's, uh, you know, it's like chicken soup. It can't hurt. You know, that's what I say to a whole bunch of people who have problems with this God thing. What's it going to hurt you to try these steps? You know that you can't do it on, on your own. You know that there are people who have found a solution in these steps and who have this miracle on a day-to-day basis who don't want the food anymore, can be around and can watch people um, uh, uh, eat the foods that you used to want and not want it. I mean, yesterday I was, uh, we had a dinner party at our house. My, my father is 98. He's in great shape. And a, uh, a relative of ours brought a huge cheesecake. Now, cheesecake is, used to be one of those things which were my absolute downfalls. I could eat, a, I, I probably have eaten a whole cheesecakes. And this was a new recipe. It was made, you know, from scratch. And, and she talked about the difficulties that she had in making it and how she followed, you know, some French cookbook, you know, and, and all that. Well, I didn't even, I mean, it looked very nice, but I didn't want to eat it. And that's a miracle to me. And if that's a miracle to anyone who's listening and, and if people want that miracle, let me assure you the God thing is not a problem. Uh, the miracle that I have experienced, that m- millions of people have experienced with addictions, with, with dozens of addictions around this world, uh, that miracle is, is available through the 12 steps, if that seems to be a miracle to you. So uh, on page 47, it says, no, all you have to do is be willing, and, that, and that's it. Um, and uh, then on page 48, they start to give you the reasons why it would be why you should believe in a power greater than yourself. 
And I used to read these and think this was third-rate philosophy, but frankly, once I analyzed the, ba- the, uh, some, the, the argument underneath the words, it isn't third-rate philosophy. It's pretty good philosophy. The first argument is found on page, uh, the beginning of page, the middle of page 48. And um, I should, uh, in the middle of page 48, it says, the reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. We think there are good reasons. Let us have a look at some of them. There are basically three arguments. The first argument is found uh, from the middle of page 48 to the middle of page uh, 51, or the, the, the second paragraph on page 51. And this argument is a very simple argument. It addresses the scientific people, the people who believe in some scientific method. Uh, and this argument is as simple as this. A theory that works is worth believing in. And that's, you know, you, that's, that is, you know, science is full. It's a hypothesis that's tested. If the testing proves the hypothesis, then the hypothesis explains the issue. Um, we've never seen molecules, we've never seen atoms, uh, and yet we believe in all kinds of, um, uh, we believe that life is, is, consists of atoms which make into molecules which combine in different ways to create matter. We believe these things because they explain things, they explain uh, occurrences which could not otherwise um, be explained, and and science continually tests hypotheses, tests theories, and if they don't work, comes up with new theories. Um, we've never seen a molecule, we've never seen an atom, but those of us who have taken grade nine science uh, certainly are willing to accept that electricity consists of the movement of molecules along a conductor. I don't even remember what it is, but you know what I'm saying. And and we look at the light switch, and it isn't a magic trick to believe, uh, to know that when we switch on a light switch and a light turns on, that there is a direct connection between our flipping on that light switch and the, and the, and the light coming on because of a connection of wires and, and electricity that uh, lights up a filament or whatever it does to the, to the light. We know it's a scientific explanation. We believe it even though we've never seen the constituent elements that, that they consist of. All kinds of things we believe in that we can't prove and, uh, uh, or that we've never experienced directly, and therefore a theory that works is worth believing in. And the big book points out on pages 48 to, to 51 that we have a theory in, in the 12-step program that if we find a higher power, we will be restored to sanity. And the complete, um, the, the, the facts of that are, are incontestable. There are, all, there are millions of people around this world who have been, who have recovered from their addictions um, to drugs and substances uh, of, of all kinds, including food, who have recovered, who have this miracle. And they all have done it by working the 12 steps. So that's the, uh, that's the, the first argument found in pages 48 and 49. They, they, they point out um, we have numerous theories, for example, about electricity, uh, electricity, page 48. Everyone believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate the visual proof is the weakest proof? It's constantly being, it's being constantly revealed. 
as mankind studies the material world, that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. And they talk about the, you know, the uh, steel girders, the massive electrons uh, whirring around. And and they, they go on and said on page 49, we have traveled this dubious path of, of skepticism, beg you to lay aside prejudice even against organized religion. We've learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about, and we used to have no reasonable conception whatsoever. Uh, page 50, um, in our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with a particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. Experience has taught us that these are matters about which for our purpose we need not be worried. Worried. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. This is the theory. This is the hypothesis. When you work the steps, you will gain access to and believe in a power greater than yourself. This power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. These are the facts that bolster the theory. So the theory is that as we work the steps, we will find a power greater than ourselves, which will restore us to sanity. The fact is, millions of people have found that. So why shouldn't we believe in a theory that seems to work? They go on. Here are thousands of men and women worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, to do certain simple things, these are the steps. There's, that's the theory, that the, the steps work. There's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. That's the fact. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. The fact. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. The steps, which are the theory. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life, leaving aside the drink question they they tell why living was so unsatisfactory on page 51. They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, that's the theory and the fact together. The consciousness of the presence of God is the theory. The most important fact of their lives is the fact. They present a powerful reason why one should have faith. I, I, I just want to point out in passing, by the way, that... Uh, the consciousness of the presence of God is the most important fact, not sobriety. Because if they are conscious of the presence of their higher power, if they have come to believe that a power greater than themselves has restored them to sanity, then they, the sobriety, abstinence, is taken for granted because you're sane. I mean, I don't work hard at being abstinent. I work hard at my consciousness of the presence of my higher power because as long as I'm conscious of the presence of my higher power, I'm sane, and I don't want to eat the cheesecake that was offered uh, last night to me. Why would I eat something that would kill me? I'm sane. Anyway, that's the first, first argument. A theory that's grounded in facts is worth believing in. The next argument begins on page 51 with the, the, the words, this world of ours, and it goes on <coughs> excuse me, to, um, well, eh, it's sort of mixed in, but around page 52. And this is, again, sort of a, it, it appeals to the scientist. Uh, and it, it, it's, a, it's a similar kind of argument, but a little different. 
and that is that nothing valuable in human progress or progress has ever occurred without someone thinking outside the box, without someone trying things that hadn't occurred to others or that had been rejected by others. In other words, you've got to take a risk. You've got to take a leap. Uh, you've got to try something that hasn't been tried before, that you haven't tried before. And they point out about, um, you know, Galileo, and they, and they, they don't mention uh, Copernicus, but they point out that people who believed uh, it was the prevalent belief that the earth, uh, that the sun revolved around the earth, that the sun and the stars revolved around the earth. Excuse me. That the sun and the stars revolved around the earth. And, and this worked. This was a theory that was worth believing in when boats didn't go that far because the stars could be used for navigation uh, even if you believed that they uh, went around the earth. But as soon as boats began to venture further, uh, and as soon as scientists began to look at the stars, it became pretty clear that this could not explain, well, clear to people like Galileo and Copernicus, this, it became pretty clear that the sun and stars moving around the earth did not explain the movement of the stars in the sky, or even the movement of the sun. And so Copernicus and Galileo came to a theory that the earth revolved around the sun and that the earth also revolved in its uh, made revolutions and also was in an orbit around the sun. And uh, this theory turns out to have been accurate, uh, but they had to think outside the box. They talk on page 51 about American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before, did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Um, uh, in, in um, no, I have it somewhere, but about a week before, the Wright brothers actually flew their plane. The New York Times published an editorial saying, you'll never, will never be able to create a heavier-than-air flying machine, and Professor Langley, who has kept trying to do it, should put his mind to much more valuable things. And the Wright brothers, who were what were bicycle mechanics and probably didn't read the New York Times, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, piloted their heavier-than-air flying machine a week later. They thought outside the box. They thought beyond what people could do. And the example of the four-minute mile, uh, it was a barrier to everyone until two men, Roger uh, Bannister and John Landry, decided that it was possible to overcome the four-minute mile, and they trained and trained, and both broke it. And now no uh, competitive athlete uh, can run the mile without breaking the four-minute mile. Um, so the second argument is try something different. If what's working for you, if what's, what's not working for you is not working for you, try something out of the box. Try something different. On page 52, they say, is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget which does not work for something new which does? Then they say we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. Now we go into the bedevilments, and they describe we're having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, 
We had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. So the second argument is basically, you know, what's, what you're doing isn't working for you. You know you're doomed if you, try, if you continue to try what, you, what you've been trying, the diets, the, the prayers, the, whatever you're trying isn't working. Try something different, the steps. And, um, and they, they go on in page 52, uh, we agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. When others showed us that God's sufficiency worked with them, we began to feel like those who had insisted their rights would never fly. Page 53, logic is great stuff. We liked it. We still like it. Um, we're pains to tell why we think our present faith is reasonable, why we think it more sane and logical to believe than not to believe, why we say our former thinking was soft and mushy when we threw up our hands in doubt and said we don't know. And then they, on page 53 in the middle, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, that is, our will was imposing this crisis on us, we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition, either God is everything or else he's nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice? These are words that I couldn't stand reading and still don't like reading in, in, in the language that's used. Uh, arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. The outlines and the promise of the new land had brought luster, uh, shine to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Friendly hands had stretched out a welcome. We were grateful that reason had brought us so far, but somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. Perhaps we had been leaning too heavily on reason that last mile, and we did not like to lose our support. This is the concept, and it's interesting that, that um, the big book was written a few uh, 20, 30 years later than the great Danish philosopher Sean Kierkegaard, who was not well known in the United States when this book was written, coined the concept of the leap of faith, this concept that at a certain point, reason will not get you anywhere. You have to have faith in something, and you have to take a leap of faith. And the big book is describing the, the leap of faith from the, the, the bridge of reason bringing us. Oh, sure, it's reasonable to believe in something, but I can't, I can't, I can't. All these people on the other side, all these 12-steppers saying, come on, join the crowd, and I can't go from the bridge of reason to the shore of faith. I have to leap across it, and how do I do that? And now the big book comes up with its best argument. Right at the bottom, page 53. That was natural. And, and this argument is, we do believe in something. But let us think a little more closely. Without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith? For did we, I'm on page 54 now, did we not believe in our own reasoning? Did we not have confidence in our ability to think? What was that but a sort of faith? Yes, we had been faithful, abjectly, hopelessly faithful to the God of reason. So in one way or another, we discovered faith had been involved all the time. Now, you know, as a philosophy student, uh, a person loving philosophy, uh, I, I, that, that's sort of, yeah, that's cute. That's a nice argument. It's cute. But that's, that's not their real argument. Yeah, yeah, sure, we believe in something. Yeah, yeah, I believe in, I believe in logic, sure. But the next paragraph and the next paragraph to that, that's the killer. We found, too, that we had been worshippers. What a state of mental goose flesh that used to bring on. Had we not variously, in many different ways, worshipped people, sentiment, things, money, and ourselves, and then with a better motive, had we not worshipfully beheld the sunset, the sea, or a flower, who of us had not loved something or somebody? How much did these feelings, these loves, these worships, have to do with pure reason? 
little or nothing we saw it last we're not i would say and yet were not these things the tissue out of which our lives were constructed did not these feelings after all determine the course of our existence it was impossible to say we had no capacity for faith or love or worship in one form or another we've been living by faith and little else imagine life without faith where nothing left pure reason it wouldn't be uh, life we believed in life of course we did we couldn't prove life in the sense that you can prove a straight line in the shortest distance between two points, yet there it was. Could we still say the whole thing was nothing but a mass of electrons created out of nothing, meaning nothing, whirling on to a destiny of nothingness? Of course we couldn't. The electrons themselves seem more intelligent than that, at least so the chemist said. I must say that I don't necessarily agree with that, but anyway. Hence we saw the reason is that everything, neither is reason as most of us uh, use it entirely dependable. And, you know, this, this whole concept is, is, is very simple. I do believe in something. I told you I grew up with great moral principles. I did. Uh, more than that, and I believe in them. I can't prove them. I can't prove that my moral principles are right. Someone could come and say, tell me why you sh- I should love another human being. I can't prove that you should. I could say it's practical not to, and that person could say, well, what about the tyrant who gets away with everything, who kills millions of people in order to preserve himself or herself? They seem to be happy. Seems to work for them. The destruction of millions of other people seem to work for those people. Prove to me that love is important, that you should believe in love. I can't do that. I can only say that love is in me. When I saw, when my, uh, both, I was present at the birth of both of my daughters and I, was, I picked them up within, within minutes, uh, uh, maybe even seconds of their having been born. I would die for them. I, di- I would have died for them at the age of zero, and I'd die for them now. And I would die for them. There is no question in my mind that I would take a bullet for them if, 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 if I had to. It would be automatic. And, and, and yet, at the moment that they were born, they were, they were of less value to the human race than I was. Um, and yet I, I would give my, my, my whole being up, clearly, the love I feel, uh, felt and still feel for my, my daughters, the love I feel for my wife, the love I feel for all kinds of people, is more important than I am. Clearly it is because I'd give up my life for it. And so when the big book says I believe in something, I do. I don't believe in God, as, as the word God is normally used, but I believe in something. And and my first sponsor, this you know, this I was able to get to before I even read the big book. My first sponsor asked me a simple question: Is there anything that is more important than you are? And my immediate reaction, and this was immediate, was love. Clearly, love is more important than I am. <coughs> I, I I said I wanted to think a bit more about it, and I did. I thought more about what was more important, and I came up with really what were my moral guides: truth. Justice, beauty, and love, those are the things that guide me in my life. They are the things that I think are more important than I am. No matter how many years I'm gone, I'm going to die sooner or later, and probably more sooner than later given how old I am. Um, No matter my death, the the music that Johann Sebastian Bach created will live much longer than I and is worth far more than, than I am. Worth far more than Bach's life, it's worth far more than my life. It's worth... It's worth it's it's eternal in, in at least in my opinion. The great works of art, the 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 love that I hold, that I feel for my daughters, will live on beyond me, and is worth living on. 
it will be conveyed by them to others and is being conveyed by them to others um and and, and so th- this whole this whole idea is there anything more important than i am is really an easy answer because all of us believe in something you you won't find the atheist or the agnostic denying that he or she believes in moral principles you can't be an atheist or agnostic without believing in truth because you consider truth more important than fiction. And if you believe that there is no God, that God is a fiction, you obviously consider truth to be more important. And any atheist or agnostic who is passionate, and you know, if you're an atheist or agnostic, you're passionate enough to take a position on something that most people don't think about, then you, you, you know, clearly truth is important, justice is important, and I'll make you bet love is important. So, I, I, you know, I hear people say, oh, you know, let God be your group, or let God be the, the, the chair on the, you know, the doorknob, or it doesn't matter as long as you believe in something, or act as if. And yes, it's true, you can act as if. And yes, it's true, you can choose the group as your higher power. But I find it much more powerful to ask any sponsee I have, is there something you believe in? it's more important than you are. Because I've never found a person who has ever been able to say no. I mean, I'd never have to sponsor a psychopath or sociopath who may say no, but that's probably because they don't feel, they don't feel a lot of despair in, in addiction. But most people believe in something that is more important than they are. They, they, hold, they hold dear things that are more important uh, than, they, than they are. And that concept has been with me all my career with an OA. Um, and I've had to do a lot of translating of the words used in the big book, a lot of, word, a lot of translating of the words I hear in meetings. It, it doesn't help me to hear words that, that have sort of a conscious God, who, who, the, the puppet master, the, the person who's able to move things, who, 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 who averts disasters for some people and creates disasters for others. It, it, it doesn't help me to hear that. I, it, it, I have to do a lot of translation. But I do translate. And when I hear people say, well, God told me to do this, or, uh, or the big book talks about getting direction from God, uh, I know that most religious people, people who do believe in God, will, will un- interpret that to mean that somehow God will give them guidance. They will, God will speak to them in some way, maybe through their holy scriptures, maybe through their, their, uh, repres- uh, God's representatives on earth, their priests, their rabbis, their imams or whatever, um, uh, maybe through something happening to them that gives them this sense of, oh, God must be giving me a message. Um, in other words, from my point of view, being pushed from behind by a higher power that tells them where they should be going. And my translation is as simple. I've got certain things I believe in. And I want to live according to those things. And if I look at a compass and I've got 360 degrees, one direction, the magnetic north, is the, 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 the direction of truth, love, justice, and beauty. And the 359 other degrees are Lori's way. They're my way of figuring out what I want to have happen. And if I can devote myself to figuring out the direction of truth, love, justice, and beauty, which are my higher power, then that gives me the direction. So I'm pulled rather than pushed. It doesn't matter. I think it's the same direction. Now on page 55, and I'm almost finished, Lay, and then we can open up the questions. But on page 55, is the is the are the two or three are the two paragraphs where 
the big book points out why religion isn't working for some people. Uh, people may believe, but their belief isn't getting them anywhere. Uh, actually, we were fooling ourselves. For deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. Again, God of my own understanding. So God for me is truth, love, justice, and beauty. They go on, it says, it may be obscured, and that obscured means it may be blocked off by calamity, by bad things happening, by pomp, by a sense of self-importance, by worship of other things, people, opinions of people, money, prestige. But in some form or other, it is there. They go on, it's, uh, uh, for faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God, again, God of my conception, truth, love, justice, and beauty, was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. And, 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 and I must interject and just point out, for me, I can't justify love, truth, justice, and beauty. I can only say they're in my soul. They're deep in my heart. And then the big book says, sometimes we have to search fearlessly, searching in fearless moral inventory. But he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found a great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there he may be found. It was so with us. The picture the big, big, big book is giving on page 55 is that deep down we all have our own individual conception of God. We all have our sense of what guides us, of our deepest values. For some of us, it is the God of their, of their beliefs, their religious beliefs. For others, it is, the, it is a, a, a being, a supreme being of their own conception, um, maybe out of the, the God that, of their religious uh, upbringing. It is only the God of love that, that they go to. I, I once spoke to a rabbi who said that the God of the Old Testament is kind of a, a difficult God, but he would choose the God of the book of Jonah because the book of Jonah is, in his opinion or his interpretation, a, a, practical, a, a humorous book in which God plays practical jokes on Jonah interesting interpretation. So he chose the, the playful God of the book of Jonah as, as the God of his understanding. Or for some, the, the God is just deep, deep as values, but it's blocked off. We are blocked off from the God of our understanding, our own God. And that is why our minds are unable to remember, oh, I can't eat this. And the big book uses imagery when we get to step four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine of unblocking the passageway between the God that's deep in our heart, deep down in us, unblocking the passageway between the God that's deep down in us and our minds. And that's all that the steps do. They unblock the passageway so that we are able to feel the presence of whatever we believe in in our minds and know how to act and think. And we do that by doing a searching and fearless moral inventory, which as the big book describes it is steps 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. It, it, is, it is admitting to ourselves and to another human person the exact nature of our wrongs. It's by analyzing the nature of our wrongs. It's by admitting them to another person. It's by making amends for the wrongs we've done and by living a life that's different from the life that we've already lived, a life that's free of our character defects, that we find that we get rid of the things that obscure us, that block us from what we believe in deep down. And that's why the religious people should be reading this chapter. It's the second reason, because the image of the, the, the description of their problem is not that God doesn't exist, not that God isn't able to help them, 
but that they have blocked God off from themselves. And if they can unblock it using the steps, their belief will be stronger. They will understand what their higher power is telling to them. It will no longer be blurred or blocked off. They will believe. Um, I, um, well, there's so much more I could say, but I think that I will leave it there. And uh, <clears throat> I believe it's open now for questions. <coughs> thank you. Lori, thank you so much for offering us this in-depth study of We Agnostics and your fascinating insights this morning. We thank you. Lori's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And now we will open the floor for questions. Please press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Mary A. Mary A. Sue G. Anyone else? Sally. Did I hear Sally? You did. Okay, Sally. Who else was out there? Alice. Alice. Jane M. Anne-Marie, Jane M. Okay, let's start with Mary A. Please, questions only. Thank you. Thank you. It's more a comment. Lori, thank you so much. I was so excited when I heard that it was you this morning. I listened to you for hours. I really respect you. Uh, Many of the things you say, even though I disagree with a lot of the things, but I have learned so much. And I am one of those who, um, in my faith, I never, you know, I would get abstinence for a little while, but it was not till my God brought me to the rooms where I was able to have a spiritual awakening in the food. I was never able to get that, even though I've had many spiritual experiences. What I'm just curious about is we're talking all about God and the and the big book, and um, what I don't understand is that, you know, so many millions of people have, you know, come to believe in a, a, a God that made everything, but they didn't believe. They were atheists, and there's millions of them. But when challenged, you know, what if you're wrong? What if there is a God uh, that created this whole thing? Why not just, we're spiritual beings, why not just ask them, what if you're wrong? And these people really asked and said, God, if you're really there, if this, uh, that these millions of people say they have changed lives from, if you're really there, come into my heart and let me experience you. And that is um, just a comment I wanted to make. Thanks so much. Well, I, I will I will say, though, that if someone said that to me, I'd say go to hell. I have no interest in that. My interest is purely in finding a power greater than myself which will restore me to sanity, and I've done that. And I have no interest in, in, in having anyone... Uh, suggest to me that I need to go even farther. I, I'm not taking offense to what you said. I'm just saying that, that, my own, that, that in carrying the message to someone else, I want to have them discover their God of their understanding, and I, don't, I have no interest in having them uh, discover mine. Um, so 
I, uh, I, 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 I use strong language, and I, I really apologize for that. Um, but, my, I, but my own sense is that whatever millions of people have done, they've done, and, and I'm just not one of them. And I don't think I will ever have a sense of a personal God that other people have. And I don't care ever to, if I ever have one. I know how I live, and I live, I live according to what I believe in. When I'm, when I'm doing well and when I work the program, I live according to what I believe in. And, those, and what I believe in are things that are morally justifiable and morally right. And um, whatever happens when I die is going to happen when I die. And there's no sense of fear or, or, or anything like that. Um, and, and so that's my answer to the comment. Thank you. Thank you, and we'll move on to Sue G, please. Hi, it's Sue G from southeastern Pennsylvania, recovered. Yes. Thank you so A much. A question, Roy. please. Yes, yes, ma'am. Okay, my question is, how has what you have learned from the study of we agnostics affected your work life or other parts of your life? But work life, I'm very interested in. Thank you. And I pass. Well, that's a, an interesting question. I mean, I, I, I have always believed in truth, love, justice, and beauty, and, and the work I do and have done in my life has, has been informed by that. I would say that um, the steps have helped me um, uh, work better according to what I believe in than, than, uh, than uh, before the steps. Um, because I have more of a sense of a couple of things. One is I have more of a sense of when I act, am I acting according to what I believe in or am I acting according to what I want to have happen? Um, and, uh, for example, uh, when I, I'm, as I said, I'm a lawyer, and when I used to do uh, cases, uh, I don't do them anymore, but when I used to be in litigation, I would want to win. And when I worked the steps, I came to the conclusion I wanted justice to prevail. And if that meant I went, won, terrific. If that meant I didn't win, that was it. Justice would be done. So that, that changed the way in which I, I did my cases. I no longer worried about winning or I no longer worried about pleasing my clients. I worried about making sure that what I did contributed to justice and was done with love and compassion. So that, that's, that's uh, uh, one thing. And the other is it, it certainly gave me a sense of being able to apologize if I offended any of the principles that I believed in or that if I made mistakes and gave me the courage to know that it would be better for me to apologize or to make things right than to try and hide them or live in guilt or fear. Uh, those are the two things. And third, the, the, the steps have allowed me to choose career paths. I, I, I do what, what I call step 10, which, um, which, are, uh, which is steps four through nine uh, done in the context of recovery. I do it all the time. And I, I use step 10 to help, I've used step 10 all the time to help me make any major decisions in my career. And I've, I've never made a major decision without doing a step 10 on them, steps four through, through nine. So that's another thing that, that has helped me. So my, my, my newfound spiritual wellness, oh, and the fifth, the fourth, <laughs> like the Spanish Inquisition of Monty Python. The fourth is that I have been able to rely on my in intuition rather than work so hard that, I, that, my, that I'm tired when my case begins. So that, you know, I, I used to stay up all night thinking about how I was going to cross-examine 
someone, but now as Step 11 promises in the big book, I rely on intuition. I rely on just feeling if, if my motives are good, I'll know the right questions to ask. And, and that's, that's proved to be true. Hope that answers the question. Thanks, Suji. Sally A., your turn. Sally, press star one to unmute. Oops, I'm just talking away here. Sorry about that, Leah. Um, good morning, everyone. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. And, Lori, I wanted to ask you about your your beliefs. You talk about love, justice, truth, love, justice, and beauty. And certainly I can understand why you would believe in truth, love, and justice and um, not to in any way question what you believe, um, but in light of, you know, great movies like Shrek and other um, defunct um, theories about, you know, why everybody has to be beautiful, especially in this day and age of um, of vanity. Um, I just don't understand the belief in beauty, and I wondered if you could elaborate for a moment for us why you include that in your principles, truth, love, justice, and beauty. Oh, that that's a good question, but I, I don't consider beauty to be uh, necessarily uh, uh, visual appearances. So my, my concept of beauty goes far deeper and, 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 and not superficial, because I, I would say that, say that movie, uh, Shrek, uh, for instance, points out that beauty is, is far more than skin, uh, skin deep. So when I, when I speak about beauty, it's the kind of beauty that, that moves me. And uh, for me, it's, it's great works of music, great works of art, great works of literature. Um, uh, you know things like that that I think are more important than I am. Uh, so that's that's all I mean by that. In the same way that truth and love and justice mean different things to different people. For me, beauty is a is an ideal. Uh, it's the greatest creation of 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 any human. Um, I don't I don't think of it as uh, as being appearances at all. I, I don't know if that's if that answers your question. I hope it does. Thank you, Sally. Alice M., your turn. Hi, this is Alice from Florida, and thank you so much, Lori. Um, uh, I have a couple questions. Um, I am an atheist slash agnostic. Um, I like the definition of those two. I would consider myself more agnostic, I guess. Um, when listening, when I have, I have done a lot of translating in the big book, and it gets really exhausting. Gets really I, I agree with you. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> and and um and I tend to think, you know, why why am I doing this? But anyway, I'm on a new path now, and I'm I'm trying to bring this whole um, inclusiveness and open mindedness thing around so that others can understand um, and be of service to others. And I I want to know how you deal with this. Um, let's say I listen to Vision for You every morning. And sometimes there are people on there that I hear clearly misinterpreting how principles are supposed to be applied, um, clearly being literalist on the big book and, you know, saying, you know, look, God either is or isn't. It says right there. And in this book, some will say, you know, this book is about, um, it's not about how to stay sober. It's not about how to get abstinence. It's how to establish a relationship with God. It says it right there. I don't believe those things. I don't agree with those things. And yet I feel it's harmful when newcomers or people come, and that's what they hear. That's what they hear. So what is my part? 
what is my what can my part be my usefulness around this to help um to help bring the other side out or not even bring the other side but help um uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I just, I bristle. I, I, I really bristle. The message, to get the message back to what it was freaking supposed to be, you know, and not not returning to back to basics religious, the religion of the, you know, it's just very frustrating. So I want to know your how you reckon with that and reach a level of serenity around that. Well, I, uh, I, I, um, I, I talk a lot uh, uh, about being uh, about not believing in the kind of God that um, that others uh, seem to believe in, and, and and the supreme being kind of God. Um, I, I guess I, I guess a whole bunch of things, a, a whole bunch of uh, responses. Um, one is that when I'm bothered by anything, I do a step ten on it. I put it down on my resentment list, and I deal with my fears and and stuff, and I and and I. I I, I get then some intuition about what to say, um, because when I'm irritated, when things bother me, it's very hard for me to separate my sense of what I want to have happen from my sense of of how to uh, my my sense of intuition. So I I do that. So I don't have a specific answer. Um, it, it would depend on the meeting. Would depend on the circumstances. I'd have to be serene. But I, I guess there are two or three ways. Uh, one is that I do a lot of translating. Yes, it is exhausting, but that's because the word God is used in outside the rooms and inside the rooms differently. Outside the rooms, it clearly means a being that in some way, shape, or form has power over the earth, the things that happen on the earth. Um, that's how it's used. But that's not is how it's used in the meetings. And so when I share... And if the topic is something that is God-related, I will always share on my conception of God and emphasize the importance um, of 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 the that the that the, 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 how I can I can be in this program and not believe in a God that a whole bunch of other people believe in. Um, I mean, there are other ways at particular meetings of asking, of dealing with at business meetings, talking about how we talk about God. There are ways uh, when i talk about sponsoring i talk very specifically i quote the big book on it's your own conception and you ought not to impose well i'll just i'll uh, i'll just read that to you it's um page um uh page 93 uh when dealing with such a person agnostic or atheist you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles there is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. So it's worth reminding uh, us all about that, that, that some people, I mean, it is in, in countries, you know, where religion is often taken for granted, it's almost part of the language, uh, uh, you, know, you know, I mean, when, you know, in the United States, uh, you know, it, it certainly is taken for granted by a lot of people that some religions are are just part of the of the fabric. You know, one nation under God, God bless America, that kind of stuff. Um, it's hard for people not to under not to live in that environment and not to be able to use the word God the way it's normally used in the in this world. Um, and I guess we all have to be vigilant that. We, our duty, the purpose of any OA group is to carry the message to those who still suffer, 
regardless of whether they're religious or not, regardless of whether they believe in a, a God as it's defined in the outside world or not. And since it is our duty to do that, it is our duty to use language this, which does not make it hard for certain kinds of people to be to take over, to take on the power of the of the twelve steps. So I guess those are my answers. I don't know if that if that helps you at all, but I, I would do a step ten on the issue. <laughs> Thank you, Alice. She had more questions. I, I don't mind answering them. But I... no? Okay, Alice. Did you have no, another no, question no. you want to throw out there? No, no, or? no, that's okay. That's okay. Let okay. other people. Excellent. Thank you. Anne-Marie? Uh, good morning, everyone, and um, Leah and Lori. Thank you for your service. I have a difficult time understanding the agnostics. I very much appreciate this talk and I'm learning more and more. Um, so I guess I thought that you didn't believe, agnostics didn't believe in anything. Um so you believe from what I understand, from what I heard, you believe in a higher power. Some people no, no you no. don't believe in a higher power. Oh, I don't know I which know. I, I don't believe I don't believe that anything exists exists in, in space or time in this world which can make a difference in any supernatural way. I don't believe in the existence of someone who can think, who uh, something that can think or has a, a power that I can't see, feel, or touch. Yeah, I don't believe in them. Okay. So I don't know All what right. you mean by higher power, but I don't believe in, 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 in what I just said I don't believe in. Yeah. Okay. So, so some people call their higher power God. Some people call it Muhammad. Some people call it Jesus. Are you calling your higher power higher power? No. Well, I, I do when I talk about it. I talk about power greater than myself. I talk about truth, love, justice, and beauty. One of my best friends in this program uh, for years, she's passed on, she was a Mormon. She and I had uh, probably uh, diametrically opposed views of what God was, and yet we talked about God all the time. Had no problem. She knew I was a moral person. I knew she was a moral person. Didn't bother me. Didn't bother her. If that answers the question, I'll just speak a bit more about it. I mean, I, 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 you know, I... I don't believe I can know these things. The, my studies of philosophy have persuaded me that I will never know. Uh, and, of course, religious people say, oh, yes, you will know. <laughs> but I don't, I don't believe I will ever know in my lifetime whether there is a God or not. Now, I have very strong suspicions that there is no God, um, but th- those are simply suspicions. I'm very skeptical about the existence of God as it's normally used. I use the term higher power. I, I don't like to use the word God simply because it has too many meanings, and people inject meanings into it depending on how they grew up, where they live, and I just feel that it's much too confusing to use words that, to use a word that has so many different meanings and such deep meanings to so many people. So I, I prefer not to use the word God, but I, I read the steps as they are. I don't, I don't try to, uh, to change them at all. That's my answer. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for the question. Jane M., your turn. Hello. I'm Jane M. from Boston. Um, I want to say that this is a refreshing to me. Uh, I have a, I'm older than you, I'm sure, but I have a, I have a son who lost a daughter when she was uh, 12, so and sorry. she would have been in the 30s now. 
and I get in the car with him, and it's all religion and politics. And uh, he said, I'm an atheist, I'm an atheist. I said, Jesus, you have, I don't want to talk about it. I don't care what you are. You spent a lot of time hating something you don't believe in. What the hell is that? Hmm. So, um, for me, it's like, um, I think a lot of harmful things have been done in the name of religions, organized religions. And um, so I'm a bit of a skeptic, but it's like I find, and by the way, I find that love is beauty. And um, it's like I look around to the sky and the trees and the stars and know they're there. And um, I, I, I guess I, I meditate on those things. And I do a lot of Buddhist reading, and my my kids think I'm weird because we're all brought up Catholic, and it's like, um, Jesus, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. And um, and none of my kids are Catholic now. It's it's like they're all doing what they're going to do, but they're all good, decent people. I'm a good, decent person. I love people. You say your children. I have children. I have grandchildren. I have great children. What a joy! What a joy! So, you know, different points of view, sometimes I have a problem. Sometimes I have a real problem with Jesus people. That's what I call them. I'm sorry if I've offended anybody, but um, it sort of freaks me out a little. So, yeah, I do believe I'm a good person. I live a good life. I treat people well. I love people well. And, um, And it doesn't matter. I can't prove any of this. Nobody can prove any of this. Like, so what? If there is or there isn't, so what? Who knows? And, um, yeah, like, I'm going to die sometime. <laughs> Could be 80 next month. I'm going to die sometime. And uh, it doesn't matter. I don't argue this stuff with people. I just let them rant on. And But I really re- do want to thank you for the way you uh, broke things down for me this morning. And with that, I'll pass. I just wanted to make a comment because I'm still thinking about what I said at the beginning of the questioning, and I, I want to apologize if, if I was too strong. Um, uh, my my own sense is that it is not the part of anyone, that no one in this program should try and persuade anyone of anything relating to uh, higher power. Um, people have to come to their own conclusions, and what has to be emphasized is that it's open to anyone and that people have to find a higher power deep within them, not from any other source. That's what the big book says. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, Jean M. and Lori, for stressing that point. Who else has a question this morning? Star one to unmute. This is Maria in Alabama. Marie, who else? Tony W. I didn't catch your first name. T-O-N-I. Okay, Tony, anyone else? Star one to unmute. Jump in, the water is warm. Okay, so we'll start with Marie. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, This is Maria uh, E. in Alabama. Um, Thank you for your... Um, I don't know, interpretation. Uh, it, it really great when somebody opens the box a little bit more so more people can fit in. Um, you mentioned something about 
joined Charlie, and when it turned from religion to spirituality, when he said your own conception of God, can you enlarge on that a little bit? Because I still have a hard time trying to explain to other people. I think I understand it in my head, but what's exactly the difference, religion, spirituality? Because I do feel I'm a spiritual being having a human experience, but it's kind of hard to explain. That's Thank a great you. question. It, it allows me to elaborate. I appreciate that. Um, uh, Joe and Charlie, just for those who don't know, are these great AA uh, speakers who who bring the big book alive, who brought the, I mean, they've passed on, but brought the big book alive. Uh, um, uh, there were, there were, uh, there was one Charlie and two Joes. One of the Joes is still alive, but uh, the, the uh, original Joe and Charlie uh, passed on. But, uh, uh, and, and they're the ones who, who I, whom I follow and who, who gave me the insight uh, uh, to their talks uh, to 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 apply the big book to OA? But at any rate, um, uh, Bill was being visited by Ebby Thatcher. Ebby Thatcher had uh, was a member of the Oxford Groups, which was a, basically a Protestant uh, group uh, of people who wanted to bring Christianity back to what they called the first century, uh, the, with the fervor and the passion uh, of, of uh, first century uh, Christians. Um, and they had developed this method of developing a spiritual experience by uh, analyzing your, your defects of character, confessing them to another human being, uh, making amends for what you had done wrong, and uh, helping others without hope of reward, prestige, uh, and power, and, um, and praying and meditating for, for God's insights. They were a specifically Christian group. And uh, Ebby was going to see Bill as a messenger from this group because he had found a, a, a cure, it wasn't a cure, but he had found a, a solution to his alcoholism through the methods used by the Oxford groups to achieve a spiritual uh, experience. So when he spoke to Bill, and Bill uh, offers him a drink, and Ebby says, no, I'm not drinking, and Bill says, what's all this about? And Ebby says, I've got religion. Um, he did, he had religion, he had a Christian religion, he was a member of a, a religious group. And so Bill argues with him and talks about, uh, well, you know, religion, I can't believe in religion, I never believed in, uh, in, in the God of Christianity. Um, and that's when Ebby said, it's your own idea, choose your own idea of God, don't choose mine. And that was the moment when Ebby changed from a person who was pushing a particular version of religion to a person who was pushing a sense of finding some spiritual awakening, no matter what the spirituality was. So spirituality is just a sense, I ultimately, you know, as I analyze it, it comes down to an acceptance of the universe as it is and a sense of how you can act within it to fulfill your, your own deepest values. Um, it's, it's, it's acceptance and action. It is the serenity prayer. Um, and you can translate it however you want in your particular religion or your, or your lack of particular religion. But spirituality is a sense of acceptance of the world and what your part in it is to be. I guess that's how that's all. And um, yeah, that's all. Thank you, Marie. Tony W. I'm here in South Carolina. Marie, thank you so very much. I felt that your um, talk was brilliant and heartfelt. I've been a Christian minister since I was a young woman. 
I've struggled with um, many of the concepts of my faith and felt like a heretic. And I just felt um, so many, um, so much freedom from your speaking. My question is, um, I have deep resentment toward people who insist that their religious way is the only way. And many of my fellow Christians do that. You sort of touched on that. I do believe in God, um, a God, a being beyond this world that has effects on life. But my old concept of God had to fall totally apart before I could, um, I had to be broken in my spiritual pride and the belief that I had in the God of my understanding for years had to die. Um, I don't know, well, your your statement about truth, justice, love, and beauty helped me very much. The hardest thing for me is the, the rules and laws that are a part of my tradition. I feel like I'm rambling. My question is simply this. How do I relate and deal with that resentment against very fundamentalist Christians um, and in the South here, we have a lot of those, both in the meetings and out. Okay. Wow. I, I, I don't have easy answers. I, no, I do have an easy answer for you to find your own solution. I don't have an easy answer yes. for, for me. But the easy answer is do a step 10 on the issue. Write them down as a resentment. Yes. Use, use the, big book, uh, the big book method of dealing with, uh, with resentments because I, I don't know any other, any other way of finding a way – any other way of figuring out what to do when you are so when one is so filled with sort of all these feelings of resentment and anger and stuff the big book method provides a way of clearing the path and letting letting me at any rate uh, separate all my feelings I want this to happen I can't stand this and separate all that from uh, what does my god want me to do I what, see. Is, what, what is the direction of my higher power and, and my answer has varied. I mean, at, at times, it, it, you know, if I've been to meetings, for instance, where, where a particular person might speak in a way that I thought harmed the group or harmed the ability of people to, to hear the message, um, I would do a step 10 on that person. And my, uh, my options might be, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know what I would decide. I mean, it depends on the person. Sometimes I'd speak to that person privately. Sometimes I would not say anything, but but uh, make certain that whenever that person spoke, I always uh, I also spoke and spoke in a way that opened the door to people. Or make sure that if there was a newcomer in the room, I would go to that person and say, "I just want you to know that there are many different paths to a higher power, and I'm a an atheist, you know, agnostic, so you don't have to worry about that." I mean, there are many different ways of doing it. What the right way is depends very much, in my way of thinking, to to how you feel, uh, what your higher power would like you to do. <laughs> and I don't have an answer to that uh, because I think it depends on the situation. Uh, I, I think it's always valuable, though, when we, when we share um, to keep in mind the person who still suffers. That's the most important person in the room. Maybe a newcomer, maybe an old-timer, but the most important person in the room is the person who still suffers. That's the purpose of the meeting, Tradition 5, the, the primary purpose of every OA group is to carry the message to those who still suffer. The message is of the steps, not of, of any particular kind of God. It is the steps that bring us to our own higher power, 
the God of our understanding, God as we understood him, not God as you understand him. So I think it's important always to emphasize that that's the purpose of the meeting, and sometimes a business meeting is necessary to talk about issues like that. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Tony, for your question. Anyone else? Questions from Lori this morning? Susan? Jay from Leslie. Leslie. Susan? Susan. Sarah W. Sarah W. And I think that'll be it for this morning. Susan, begin. let's begin with you. Thanks so much. I've been fortunate enough to hear all of your talks on this line, Laurie. And if you've spoken about Step 11 and your process around that, I, I can't recall, though I'm sure I've heard it if you did, but I don't recall. And I feel like it relates very much to this um, issue because, um, you know, we talked about, or we didn't, but you <laughs> spoke about um, translation of the big book. Um, and I wondered how Step 11, uh, if you could describe your Step 11 process as an agnostic. Thank you. I think that's a fair question, and, and, and I, I don't know if I've ever talked about Step 11, but uh, it, I can do it relatively briefly, um, I'm, because it is all about uh, higher power. Um, in Step 11, we're given it's a very practical step, the way it's written in the big book. It's not what we know now as meditation. It's not sitting in a room uh, with all the lights out and concentrating and uh, saying mantras. It's uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. I think I know I have close friends in this program who do that, and and the power, their spiritual power is incredible. But it's very practical in the big book. It's basically at night we review how well we did that day, and we see and we, we learn from how we did that day uh, as to how we can do better the next day. So we, we generally do just a practical review. How did I do? Can I do better? Uh, the, day, the morning we review the day and plan as much as we can, and uh, whatever we plan and or whatever... Uh, we can't predict, we leave then and just say, as long as I act with unselfish motives, I will accept the reality of what occurs, and I will rely on my intuition. And so it's a process of getting rid of our sense of what should be happening and letting go. And that's what step 11 is for me. And, step, uh, and, the, and the daily prayers, the things you say in the middle, or if something is really bothering you, say, I'm no longer running the show, I'm no longer running the show, or thy will not mine be done, thy will not mine be done. So I say those things. And those, and those just, I mean, sometimes, and literally, I have had, not in the last little while, thank goodness, but, but it, when I was involved in litigation, um, I, I would often uh, sort of take time out and say, I'm no longer running the show, I'm no longer running the show, I'm no longer, I'm no longer, running, I'm no longer running the show, I'm no longer running the show, thy will not mine be done, thy will not, you know, with all this anger, and then, Okay, okay, I'm no longer running the show. Thy will not mind be done. And I use the words, thy will not mind be done, even though what I, my translation is, uh, let truth, love, justice, and beauty prevail. I mean, that's what I mean. But I've done enough translating that it no longer bothers me. I mean, I've been around a long time, and I'm not going to get upset. When I first said my step three prayer, I changed the vows to use. But I don't do that anymore. It makes no difference to me. Um, and, and, and because I've done my step tens on those issues. 
I hope that answers the question. I, I, I think step 11 is very practical. And what I found in step 11 promises, uh, uh, just to read that, um, uh, on the bottom of page um, uh, 86, top of page 87, we don't, we, we, here we ask God for inspiration, intuitive thought, or a decision. So truth, love, justice, and beauty, let, let, let I be inspired um, by truth, love, justice, and beauty uh, to help me give, get inspiration, intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. Well, we are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. And they point out that at the beginning we may make mistakes, but then they say, nevertheless, page 87, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. And that's what has happened to me in my career within OA. I have gradually come to rely that if I don't think about a problem, but think more about how I don't want to be part of the problem, and, and, and that I will get solutions, that they will come to me, that they do come to me. And, of course, my religious friends will say, well, of course, that's God talking to you. And I say, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But at any rate, I, I, I have cleared the passageway between truth, love, justice, and beauty and myself. And given that I've cleared that passageway and that I do that every day by working the 12 steps, once that passageway is clear, then I can rely that my deepest values are going to speak directly to my brain and give me good thoughts. So that's, that's how I work step 11. I probably don't have to say anything more about that. <laughs> Thank you, story. Susan C., for the question. Thanks, Lori. Was there another Sue with a question? I believe I heard another Sue in there. Perhaps not. Let's move on to Jane. Please, oh, thank sir. you. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. Yeah, thank you. I didn't know if you heard me. Hi, this is Jane B. I'm calling from Delray Beach, Florida. Lori, wonderful qualification, and um, really going to have to listen to it a few times. And uh, you mentioned something about. Um, well, let me not speak about what you said. I believe also that um, my higher power has come through the working the fourth step and working the steps as an understanding that my higher power comes through my heart, not my thinking. And I've not, although I've written about um, what my concept of God is, and I love that, you know, you have these particular beliefs of purity, you know, really beautiful. And everyone should have their own. Is it necessary at this point to name it? In other words, in order to pray and meditate and work on my 10th and 11th step especially, I'm hearing that if I just follow what's written in the big book as to the practice of what I'm doing to enlarge my spiritual life, it means more than if I, than if I have to define and have a name on my God. That's, is that a clear question to you? Yeah, you're right. I, I agree with you. You do not have to have a name of the, your God. Yes. Okay. All you have to do is have faith that as you work the pro is be willing to believe that as you work the program, you will find a clarity about what your higher power is. I agree with that. Okay, I find so, it helpful. I find it helpful to talk to the to talk to my sponsees though about my own conception to give them a sense of what might assist them in working through their own deepest values, because I think in the end to explain. Because the big book does explain, the chapter we agnostics, 
that the whole point of this process is to get us in touch with our deepest values. So even though I agree you do not have to give it a name, and the big book is very clear about that, it does give us a sense of where we're going and why the steps four through nine give us a spiritual awakening because they clear the way for getting rid of our way in order to figure out the way of our higher power. But I agree with you absolutely. There's no need to name it. Thank you, Jane, for the question. Leslie, please, your turn. Leslie, star one to unmute to ask your question. Sorry about that. Uh, Leslie from Illinois, um, and thank you so much, Lori. Uh, Having had a spiritual awakening, I was wondering if you might discuss beyond steps 10, 11, and 12, how you continue to enlarge your spiritual life and grow spiritually. Uh, Okay, I, I do steps 10, 11, and 12. That's all I do. I mean, okay, for me, step 10 is steps four through nine done in the context of recovery. So I, I literally write down on paper my resentments, my fears, my sex conduct issues. I, as, as a professional now, uh, given that I've recovered, I, I, do, I, I, I give them a little bit more uh, detail and specificity, but that's what I do. I work step 11. I don't work it as often as I should, but I, I do in, at least subconsciously plan my day and review my days. Um, and I give a lot of service. And that has allowed me to maintain and grow in my spirituality. Um, I, there's nothing else I do. I mean, I, I have my interests, so I, I read a lot. And a lot of what I read is, is of spiritual value, I suppose. But that's always been true and hasn't changed since I was a kid. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leslie. And our last and I, question. I, I should, I, yep. If I could just say, uh, sorry to interrupt. Is, is that the big book doesn't ask you to do any more than that. It doesn't tell you that you need to. You maintain and grow in your spirituality by working steps 10, 11, and 12. That's pretty clear from the big book. Anyway. Thank, thank you, Leslie, for the question. And our last question for the morning, Sarah W., please. Uh, good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service. Lori, I just really enjoyed this. My favorite step is the second step. I uh, just wanted to... Um, say, um, you know, ask you, as far as when you're working with somebody, and, you know, there's a lot of perfectionism that can come into play with all of us, um, and wanting to get it down perfectly, I thought you did such a beautiful job of, uh, you know, describing that this is the process that we go through, you know, on page 54 and 55, it's, I think, uh, you know, a really good place to kind of sink our teeth into that, you know, that actually we were fooling ourselves deep down in in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God, which I think really brings it all. But I wanted you, uh, if you could, to talk a little bit about, you know, not having to have it perfect, that this is a process, and in that process, how you went about getting to that place, maybe just just briefly, if you could. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. That's a great question to end it on. Um, well, the big book provides uh, promises at the end of some of the steps, and uh, and I always check to see whether those promises have been fulfilled. The, the promise at the end of uh, step, there's no promises at the end of step one or step two. Uh, the promise at the end of step three is that a feeling sometimes a great one will be felt at once, and so 
I always ask the sponsee, are you, have you felt something when you do step three? And obviously they will have felt something. And then in step four, uh, there's a promise that uh, you have digested and swallowed great chunks of, um, what is it? I forgot what it is, great chunks of... Um, Truth about yourself. Truth about yourself, yeah. And uh, step five, uh, our major promises, and, 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 and really this, is, uh, this to me was a, a revelation when I first did this with someone who really had been schooled in the Joe and Charlie method, uh, pointed out to me that um, we've shared with ourselves, and when we, after we share with another human being, there's still an hour left where we have to share with our higher power, but when we share with a human being on page 75, uh, you have to be delighted, look the world in the eye, be alone at perfect peace and ease, and have your fears fall from you. So um, that checklist is is uh, is very important to know whether I've completed step five. I've completed that part of step five, and uh, in, practically speaking, uh, it wasn't true for me the first time I did my step five. So I had to do. I had to go back. I left something out in steps um, uh, in step four, and I had to do uh, add to my step four few more times before I, I did feel these feelings. And then there's no promises for six or seven because the way I read the big book, you do them the same night uh, that you do step five, that you've done step five. And then step nine are the big promises of the spiritual, the spirituality. So um, perfection isn't required. What's required from my point of view, or from my understanding of the big book, is the, is the promises that are, that are given at the various parts of the of the um, of the big book, um, and and I mean let let's deal with two kinds of perfectionism. One is the sponsor perfectionism. I would say, that, I mean, my own sense of of how we should sponsor is that no sponsor should ever tell a person what to do. Uh, the big book, I think, is very clear about that. It's you you, you burn the idea into the consciousness of every man, wife or no wife, job or no wife, uh, job. Uh, he will not recover. Um, oh, I've forgotten. I always forget the exact words. Here it is. Um, um, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. So my own sense of, of sponsoring is that I want no one to be dependent upon me, and I don't want anyone to do what I tell them to do. I want them to work the steps. Um, so there's the sponsorship perfection, and, and I think that's, that's something we should be avoiding as sponsors. Uh, we shouldn't be imposing our own sense of perfectionism or control on other people. And then there's the perfectionism of the sponsee who says, I'm not, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And from my point of view, the big book is, offers uh, particularly the good antidote to, uh, for that. You know, at the end of step four, it talks about swallowing uh, our, 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 our grosser handy, our dealing with our grosser handicaps. Grosser not meaning our yucky ones, but meaning our big, our obvious ones, the big chunks, not the little chunks. That comes later. That's what step 10 is all about. And, uh, and, of course, because these promises are described, you'll know whether you finish step four by, by how you've done in, step, uh, uh, in the step five part. Are you delighted? Can you look the world in the eye? Can you be alone in perfect peace and ease? So, so I agree. I, perfectionism is, is, is a control issue for all of us. It certainly has been for me. And I think we have to be very clear not to be perfectionists, either as, as people working the steps or as people helping other people work the steps. Done. Thank you. Lori, thank you so much for your generous service this morning. Thank you for your time and effort. We Hi. always greatly appreciate you visiting us. And I'm going to close this meeting. 
Oh, did you want to know about my contact information? Yes, if you if you yeah, want to put I, it on the recording, we can do so. Otherwise, we can wait. No, I, I'd rather do it on the recording. Uh, I, I, I normally uh, don't I don't give my telephone number out simply because my my wife and I use the same phone, and uh, if I got calls, it would just be it would it would just tie it all up. I, I but my email is uh, uh, is available. Uh, and I'll give that in a moment. If if you go to uh, oabigbook.info, www.oabigbook, o-a-b-i-g-b-o-o-k.info, info, uh, you'll see a place to click on uh, to contact me. That contains the book I've written and all, all kinds of other things for downloads. Um, but my my email is laurie l a w r i e at oabigbook.info. And if you email that, you you know I'm happy to talk to people when we, make, we can make appointments and talk. Uh, so that's my contact information. Okay, thank, thank you, you very much. much. Thank you. And I will close the meeting the way we always close here on A Vision for You, and that's from page 164 in the big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.